Well, hello there. Welcome back, my dears. I hope you are enjoying your holiday season, the bitter end of a very difficult year. We made it. Well, almost. Now, I've got a nice, light, and fluffy topic to send you off on your holiday break. <laughs> uh, as you know, I am the queen of light topics, so I'm sure you guys have heard of the YouTube rabbit hole theory by now. Sometimes it's called the radicalization pipeline, but just to make sure we're all talking about the same thing, the basic idea is that the YouTube algorithm can radicalize people by recommending increasingly fringe and extreme content the longer you watch. And over time, the idea goes, YouTube is effectively churning out a new generation of conspiracy theorists and political extremists in a country where there are more guns than people, no less. But let's assume that people are being radicalized. There is reason to doubt that the YouTube algorithm is to blame. And when you take a closer look, it seems possible that this is a much larger and much more human problem than it's being made out to be. My guest today is Dr. Anna Zaitsev. She is a postdoctoral scholar at UC Berkeley, and she's been doing a bunch of interesting research about YouTube political content. She and her collaborator, Dr. Mark Ledwich, made quite a splash a year or so ago because their research challenged the rabbit hole theory. And this is a theory that has become deeply entrenched in mainstream media narratives about YouTube. I think that you'll find that Anna has a lot of new ideas for us to ponder. I hope you enjoy our conversation. YouTube kind of seems like a straightforward thing and people are talking about it much like they would talk about radio or television in the olden times but the, i think a lot of people are missing the social media aspects of youtube and how youtube content creators and their viewers have this i i would say special type of relationship between each other so it's not just that you have this some kind of authoritative source that is telling you the news or telling you or showing some type of programming but it is more akin to other social media platforms in the way that that these communities and these, let's say, political tribes are maybe formed on that platform. So so I think it would be outdated to look at it at, at the same way than you would look at cable news, for example. Mm -hmm. And do you think that that's why YouTube has kind of attracted a lot of this attention is because it's a visual medium, like a video platform versus something like Twitter, where it's just microblogging visual medium and i think the the appeal of youtube is broader because youtube has all these kinds of non-political content as well so so it has brought a lot of people onto the platform who are interested in cat videos or or how to fix your shelves or anything like that makeup tutorials and all that kind of stuff and then you find more interesting channels and more interesting content creators uh, which is not the same way that you would engage with something more traditional. So if I'm understanding correctly, you think part of why YouTube is 
been treated with a little bit of heightened worry about this is because of the way that people are discovering video content now. And it's a little bit maybe disturbing or alarming <laughs> to people. Well, yeah, and that and also I think it is the platform is in direct competition to everybody else. Like social media is getting the ad revenues that were traditionally given to newspapers or cable news or any kind of other mm-hmm. more traditional mainstream media programming. And now that people are shifting their attention to other media, which would be mostly social media, that that will raise some questions in these in these big establishments who've been relying on this income for since since the beginning of this kind mm. of mainstream media era when television and newspapers started. So so I think they do also feel threatened by the social media as they probably should because the ad revenues are definitely getting to Google and Facebook rather than anyone else. Um, that's an interesting point because a lot of people talk about how there's a little bit of bitterness in the mainstream media. It almost feels like there's this sort of, you know, war happening. So that's kind of the context that that the public is coming into this conversation with. Um, the press was having a heyday with the YouTube algorithm radicalizing people. I feel like I first heard about this maybe 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. Does that sound mm-hmm. about right? I think it sounds about right. I think that's when a lot of these articles came out uh, in New York Times, other outlets as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the basic argument was that YouTube kind of funnels people toward more and more fringe content um, based on their interests. But your study challenged that narrative in in a few ways. Um, So let's kind of go over the basics of what you guys found. All right. So our study was looking at where does the recommendation algorithm actually drive the traffic? And so this study is based actually on an older data set that Mark Ledwich, my co-author and the person who gathered the data, had started collecting already in 2018. And so so that data said it's not fully comparable because it was way smaller. He had way less channels included in it and the categorization was very high level. But already in 2018, the trends were pointing towards YouTube trying to get the uh, users to engage more with more mainstream media content rather than anything that would be considered more fringe. And since since that time, uh, we did the study, we increased the number of channels, we made a more detailed classification so that we could really see if if the radicalization, uh, if the radi- potentially radicalizing content is getting more traffic than the other type of content. So we had to break down the political YouTube across these rather high level categories, but still something that you could compare uh, where does the traffic go. And based on that study, it does show that a lot of these smaller classifications, the smaller categories are not getting too many recommendations. And a lot of the recommendations is funneled to these large mainstream media channels. Mm-hmm. And there is a there is a partisan split in terms of where does the um, traffic go, but the trend that the traffic goes to mainstream media rather than anything independent YouTuber content is the same on both ends of the political aisles. Mm-hmm. And you said this is based on data from 2018. 
So, so this is based on data from 2018 onwards. Onward, okay. And so before that, is it possible that it that things were hap- happening differently in like 2015, 2016, 2017 than it is now? Right. So that is definitely possible. And, and it might be that there was a YouTube, let's say this more rabbit, rabbit hole, hole radicalization pipeline before that. The thing is that we can't really prove that because we don't have the data from that time. Uh-huh. And YouTube has said that they have changed the algorithm and they are steering people away. They've been especially talking about the conspiracy content, that yeah. that's something that they're not uh, trying to recommend more often. But I think there's a lot of other type of content that falls within that same, let's say, de-ranking or or... Also, a lot of the that content is also not going to be monetized. Like the ads are not going to play on those videos. So, so that has been something that they have been doing for a while. But it is really hard to know if this radicalization pipeline existed before, since no one was really looking at it at that time. What I can say about that is that this this meme of radicalization is is really hard to get rid of because. Even in last few weeks, there was um, Tristan Harris, who's a really uh, interesting, interesting character and who's done a lot of good, good work in trying to explain the ways that social media is trying to capture people's attention. And he has a, a Netflix documentary about that. But still, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he was talking about this radicalization pipeline that has not really existed in in several years now. So so the, the idea still exists in in the popular culture or in the mainstream media as well, that this is something that YouTube is actively doing. Yeah. Um, why is that? Is there something that's sort of psychologically appealing maybe about that uh, idea or that explanation for some of the stuff that we see happening? Maybe. This is my personal opinion. I'm not a psychologist and I have not studied this from a psychological perspective. I'm actually from a computer science and business background, but I think there is, uh, it is a compelling story and it is easy to point fingers at social media, which is a novel medium. And I think people are still trying to figure it out and how are we going to be using this and how I can exist as societies with this thing existing alongside and, and is there can be a civil discussion on these platforms or not. So so for media to go on a, let's say, attack vote against social media and keep this keep this meme of radicalization running, I think it's just beneficial for them when they when they try to scrutinize social media as well, because they will want to have some kind of ammo against social media platforms, which are their business competitors. You know, obviously you encountering that narrative and in offering maybe uh, some data that says maybe this isn't right, you got a little bit of backlash I saw. Um, some blogs and, you know, scientists who had written some critiques of the study. Um, and for those who are interested in really going deep on, you know, maybe some of the flaws and problems and, and her responses to it, we're not going to do that today, but you can check out the Medium blog, um, which I'll link down below. But I want to discuss one particular criticism about the way that the research was done. You use new accounts, right, mm-hmm. on YouTube to do this. So isn't one of the main arguments that it's based on what people are already watching? So 
the algorithm is always learning and, and serving maybe different content than what a new user might see? So I think that's a fair critique and, and that, that is something that this type of research is trying to really hard to address because we didn't have uh, access to enough individual accounts from people who would have a long watch history from YouTube. So mm. we had to collect the data from this kind of incognito account that doesn't have a long history and doesn't really have this like subscription set of channels. However, what I think here is that even if we would have this interesting and, and that would be really fascinating data, if we would have the data from the individual people that would be large enough data set to be able to really see what the algorithm does. And so based on what YouTube has said, how they describe their algorithm in their more technical publications, uh, the big picture of the algorithm, I think, is still going to be similar. But mm -hmm. it is a fair criticism that, that our data was based on the anonymous content. But we're looking for uh, ways to uh, to go around that and we have some ideas and we might be able to come up with some studies in near future. Um, that's cool. I intuitively, like when you think about their economic incentives, it makes sense mm -hmm. that they're going to try their best to funnel people toward brand friendly stuff, yep. which, um, you know, has been hard for the little guys. You know, I definitely feel and I, I know a lot of YouTubers who feel like the dial has been turned down. There was maybe a little bit of a golden age maybe seven or eight years ago. Is there anything to support that idea that YouTube might be kind of trying to hush down some of the more independent creators who are talking about these things? Yeah, I think that there is there is some support to that idea as well, because if if you look at the the trends of recommendations, the smaller your channel is, the less number of recommendations you're likely to get. And I think a lot of this has to do with the with the original changes they made after the first adpocalypse where mm -hmm. advertisers got really skittish about what kind of content is played after their advertisement. There was a lot of advertisers who wanted to pull their content. There's been other controversies since. And as you said, I think in YouTube's mind, it's probably just easier to go with the content that has been vetted uh, to be safe for advertisement, especially if you have a cable news show and the cable news or other channels, they are way more, much more regulated. So their content is mm -hmm. already safe and clean for advertisers. Right. So you're not taking any risks by funneling people to Tucker Carlson or Jimmy Kimmel or anyone, anyone like that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, kind of depressing, though, in terms of, you know, thinking about having a really vibrant uh, political community on YouTube. But obviously, there's been a lot of um, not vibrant things that have come out of it as well. So I guess double-edged sword there. Um, but I'm sure people will be vindicated to know that it's not all in your head. There is some algorithmic stuff that's happening. And that's because YouTube is a business um, and they want to make money. Hmm. So... I want to talk a little bit about just radicalization as a, as a phenomenon. This doesn't necessarily mean there's no radicalization that ever happens on YouTube, right? I assume you agree with that statement, right? Well, there's definitely some content that you could perceive as radicalizing. And, and as, a, as a someone who 
who watched a lot of YouTube to yeah. be able to do the study and, and classify these these channels. There's a lot of very fringe material out there. And there's definitely content that if if you would keep on watching it and also engage with similar ideas, maybe outside the platform, yeah, maybe it could lead to some kind of radicalization. I'm not saying that, that there's nothing like that. Mm. out there but it is harder to find with however the algorithm is set up mm-hmm. so maybe you have to already kind of be pursuing that stuff anyway yeah and and you would have to maybe find the links from outside sources like on a different social media platform for example because the recommendation algorithm will bury it very deep yeah so it, maybe the the radicalization pipeline is not coming from within YouTube itself, if that's happening, um, mm. because the discovery is so difficult for new content and especially these really small channels. Do you have any other ideas about ways that political radicalization, and let's actually make it a, a little bit broader too, political polarization could be happening um, in YouTube communities? This is my personal opinion, not coming from any type of data source, is that Radicalization has has happened in cycles over human history. And so we had these more radical periods uh, in Europe where I'm from. We had the IRA, we had the PLO, we had the uh, ETA in the 70s and 80s. Then that kind of died down more. Now there's other radical movements going on. U.S. had big radicalization problem in, I think, in the 60s. Uh, and you can go back, you can always go back and see, like, we had revolutions in Russia in in the beginning of the previous century. And so radicalization is, is an old phenomena. Whether it happens on social media platforms, I think, is is hard to know if it's if it's driving it more if it's accelerating it uh because because these radicalization movements have been pretty successful even before social media so Mm -hmm. it seems that social media again is is used as this as this boogeyman to 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 blame and and to kind of avoid looking at the deeper reasons underlying radicalization Mm -hmm. it might be that it is giving an easier access to to more even more radical ideas that would not have been said on a public forum but a lot of these radicalizing movements have always been underground and they found their ways on distributing the content so Mm -hmm. so whether it is youtube or whether it's something else i think it, it is it is worth looking at the the bigger psychological reasons of radicalization rather than just blame social media on all, all of it. Yeah. Isn't YouTube a lot easier, though, or social media in general just a lot easier when you think about radical movements spreading, you know, propaganda pamphlets or, um, you know, making, I guess, even video, too? YouTube seems, it seems plausible that it could accelerate it just because it's so easy to find it. <laughs> um and it's easy to share it. I guess sharing it hmm. is actually even more important than being able to find it. You can very quickly, in like 10 seconds, send it to potentially millions of people, right? Right, right. Sure. But I think with the with the radicalization and if we're thinking about the the polarization overall, 
even if it's easy to share, very fringe ideas, I don't think are, they are fringe for a reason. Yeah. And if YouTube will host them, uh, then they might be easier to share. But if YouTube won't host them, there are plenty of alternative platforms where you can still get that message out. Yeah. So it, it might be able to maybe retain some of the audience more easier. Yeah. But it's really hard to know what percentage of radicalization or de-radicalization is happening because of social media and because of the influence that these platforms have. I guess the moral of that story is that it, we don't know right now <laughs> what exactly is happening. So anybody who claims to have all the answers at this juncture probably doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Right. So I think there's there's a couple of things that that are related to this this partisan conversation and and especially when it comes to conspiracy theories. We've been looking at the data and we we've been trying to find uh, significant left wing conspiracy theory channels. But but the thing is that when it comes to conspiracy or other kind of let's say more fringe thoughts or or kooky ideas that people might have the the right wing tends to be looking at this from this more political perspective whereas the left wing content is not as political and that's why it gets left out from the political discussion so there are plenty of videos which are about tarot cards reading or witchcraft or angels and crystals and anti-vaxxing sometimes goes with the, along the same lines and and this kind of modern mother nature thinking and those i i would classify if they would be part of the data set as more left-wing left-wing left-leaning and the audiences would probably be more left-leaning but because they're not focusing on directly political issues they're not really part of the data. They're not really part of the discussion. Whereas when you think about right wing and you think about what kind of conspiracies are appealing to that, you have this you have this big government boogeyman, these like cabals that are manipulating the world behind the scenes. And, and it is more related to the to the politics and it is more related to this thinking about the about the big government, about these like nefarious forces that the government specifically has, which brings it to the political sphere more than the other type of things that that you would have in terms mm. of this kind of fringe fringe thinking. Is there a reason for that? The the conspiracies on the right are more government oriented. I think it might be just related, and this is again my personal opinion. I think it might be related to the way that 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 right-wing 
thought perceives government as this uh, let's say force that you can that you can fight against, and the big bigger the government, the worse it will be for for people. So when you're saying left wing conspiracies, so you named off tarot cards as an example, is that a conspiracy? I I am annoyed to hell personally about all of that kind of stuff, like this sort of new agey magical thinking. I'm not sure I see it as a conspiracy, though. Am I missing something about those clusters of beliefs? No, I think it is not. It, I wouldn't say it is a conspiracy uh, as as the face of what the what the phenomena is. I think the the ways of thinking that are related to conspiracy theories on the mm-hmm. right side and then the magical thinking on the left side are mm-hmm. similar. So the okay. content's different. And the outlet for that uh, that thinking model is is different on mm. these on these different political sides. And what about leftist politics? Um, I don't know. I guess Antifa and and I'm just thinking all out here. I, I'm guessing I guess Antifa and groups like that are not really engaging in conspiratorial thinking. Maybe they are. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't I know. think it would be it would be more of this revolutionary thinking, and there is a contingence of the socialist or or even uh, openly communist or Marxist channels which would be engaging with with that group of people. Those channels are also not really highly recommended. So mm-hmm. the the smaller socialist circles, for example, are getting their recommendations funneled towards more mainstream media. So there isn't much difference between the right wing or the left wing fringes. It's all it's all the same to the algorithm. Right. And um, on Transparency Tube, which we'll talk about in a sec, it looks like there's a a lot more uh, traffic going to right wing sources, actually, than the left wing stuff. Well, I think that's part of the the distinction between the mainstream media and I think the independent YouTubers. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the if you look at the content that is that is now popular and that has a that has a lot of channels, uh, it's more right wing. The lack of that content on the left wing from independent YouTubers because the area is already covered by the mainstream. So you don't have to start your own channel that's going to be talking about those issues because you can find big, large channels or mainstream media that is talking about it. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, there isn't anyone who is talking in mainstream media about, let's say, the conspiracy theory stuff. So, so people will start their own channels and they will be more numerous in terms of just the raw number of channels whether that's really reflecting in the views is a different thing because the fringe channels still are not getting as many views but the number of channels will kind of compensate for for the lack of the views as well so it's balancing itself out i see oh that is really interesting yeah there's pretty much only one major partisan right-wing news channel fox news whereas there's lot of partisan left stuff (laughs) and maybe that's part of why you see so much anger online about the mainstream media and stuff they don't feel like they're being represented right right yeah i think that's that's part of the part of the issue so one of the more 
uh, robust projects around that very flow and the classification of these channels is Transparency Tube, which you guys released recently. Um, a really cool project. I saw a bunch of people actually that I was surprised to see talking about it on Twitter. You got a little bit of traction with that. Um, of course, people are always interested in things that classify them, right? They're like, right, wait, right. what'd you say about me? <laughs> um, so everyone, go on Transparency Tube, type in the channels that you're interested in. I think it's really cool. Um, so what is, what's the reception been like so far um, from either the YouTube community or the, the press in general? So... So with Transparency Tube, I first first of all I want to highlight the the creators of the site. So Mark Ledwich, who who I've worked with with the with the algorithm recommendations, has been the driving force behind uh, all of this data collection. But with Transparency Tube, uh, Sam Clark uh, created this machine learning algorithm that is used to find more channels and also automatically classify them. So with the help of this, this algorithm, this machine learning algorithm, we were able to grow the data set from the original roughly 800 channels to several thousand channels, which would not be which no one would be able to find because they are hidden by the algorithm. So you can't just manually go and follow the rabbit hole because it doesn't lead there. But with the algorithm, uh, you can actually break the stranglehold of the recommendation algorithm and find more channels and find more more, um, relevant let's say clusters of channels. So, So with Transparency Tube, the idea again is to showcase what is out there and and what type of content is popular. It shows the the large channels. Uh, it shows the views that these large channels are getting. Mm-hmm. Surprising things that we've discovered is that, for example, President Trump has a channel that has lots of views, which was really? not part of our previous data set because it didn't <laughs> exist at, at that point. And that's one of the most watched channels actually has been in the last uh, last few days. Wow. So I didn't even so know So a lot it. of, yeah, that, not, not a lot of people did, surprisingly, because it's such a large channel. And there's some other surprising channels that have popped up as well. What we had a little bit of um, controversy around that side was that because how the algorithm uh, classifies the channels, it, it is looking at at the viewers and what type of content they're interested in. And Mm -hmm. some channels have a lot of overlap in viewership between channels, which are not necessarily considered political or are slightly political and more focusing on culture content. So so some of those channels get picked up by the algorithm, but we've been removing also the non-political channels from the data set which will also improve improve the um the site so it is not supposed to be capturing uh all channels that are even tangentially related to politics but only the ones that are really actually about politics right, and so right. within that that data set you also have channels that are on their face political but they're really singly focused on this kind of cultural war issues that are right now going on and so within that sphere you have channels that are really focusing on the cultural war which are being what the site classifies as anti-voke and those channels they share a lot of similarities in their content with channels that are more right-wing, but the channel creators themselves perceive them 
as themselves as more left-wing libertarian. And so because they get classified along with the larger channels, which are related to, which are producing similar type of content, uh, some people were not really enthused about their classification. But, <laughs> but the side is trying to both fix the, um, the glaring misclassifications and also clarify what is meant by these classifications. It is not meant to be only looking at, at the, like this straight up partisan divide between left and right, but also at the cultural issues mm-hmm. and how, how they are currently perceived in the political discourse. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about it. So you're saying that people who are more liberal were being classified as right wing because of the anti-woke stuff? Yes, because their content is purely focusing on the cultural war aspects. And for example, they talk about lots uh, about the the effects of of let's say wokeness in movies or wokeness in comics or something like that. And because they don't really disclaim their other political perspectives, because their channel has a focus, which makes sense. You mm-hmm. focus on the things that you know, and why would you talk about your channel politics? Mm-hmm. But because they share so much with the audience, with the channels that do actually have this outright uh, partisan declaration of their political views, that's why they kind of got lumped all into the same bag. Interesting. It, it's interesting because... So many people get classified as right wing when they're anti-woke socially. (laughs) People, yeah, it's like been an ongoing, there's like no real nuance in the way that people perceive those cultural, some of those cultural views. Um, And so it's really interesting that Transparency Tube is trying to capture that. So you're saying you're getting that data from the subscribers is that so so how the machine learning algorithm works is that uh it it will look at who you're subscribed with and then uh it will compare it to the other subscriptions of similar accounts and so this method is surprisingly accurate when you look at it and of course there are some some mistakes in the data set but on general, it has been it has been rather, rather accurate in terms of finding these different political clusters. Hmm. That so are people only subscribing to to channels of maybe one political view? Because <laughs> it seems like maybe I'm not understanding right. But if someone was subscribed to a bunch of different stuff all over the board, wouldn't that be a little bit confusing to the algorithm? Mm-hmm. It would be, but because people tend to cluster towards certain type of content, which also might speak of polarization, unfortunately, and the echo chamber you can, stuff. You can kind of find these find these bubbles or or these more tighter knit communities. Based on this algorithmic data, um, we can also see that during the pandemic, if we're just looking at the news sites, unfortunately, the mainstream media has overtaken the viewership of independent YouTube creators mm-hmm. uh, in the last few months. So this could be partially because people were interested in what mainstream news are saying about the pandemic or because the algorithm or or both. But it's kind of just highlighting the... I wouldn't say plight exactly of the independent YouTubers, but but them having harder time to get noticed. Is there any way for YouTube to to uplift the voices of independent creators while also 
kind of quieting the voices of more destructive stuff <laughs> is that too is that too much for an algorithm to do <laughs> well i guess that's what probably youtube should be looking at if they are interested in keeping the platform as the primary source for their content creators rather than compete with the mainstream media or compete with netflix and other streaming platforms mm-hmm. that's that's probably their their issue to figure out but it also depends what are their business goals, what are they really trying to do with the platform? Because if they're not interested in that, then it's just easier for them to go with the safe, monetizable content. But also it is it is not as clear cut as like, let's say YouTube acts as a whole political wing. Those channels, they won't stop existing. They will just find alternative platforms. So which will eat the business from YouTube. So every channel that is removed from YouTube is a viewership loss as well. So I think they have a tough balance when they're trying to figure out what to keep and what not because they are driving the traffic to alternative platforms, which I don't think are gonna go away. I think they're just only gonna grow because people will will move their content where they perceive that they have more freedom of whatever they want to produce. Worth noting that since Anna and I recorded this conversation, the social media platform Parler, an alternative to Facebook and Twitter, has had millions of new signups. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. I hope you have a restful and safe holiday break. I'll see you next time.